Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. This week, uh, a band that I am shocked we have not talked about uh, in, in any great length to this point, Camelot and their 2001 release, Karma. Uh, but before we get there, Chris, my man, how are you? I'm good. I'm on, uh, I'm on vacation right now, but I am, uh, I'm always available to discuss Camelot. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, appreciate uh, you being able to come on. Uh, we're doing it around your vacation schedule, a little uh, peek behind the curtain. It is Thursday night. This will be coming out on Monday. I think you're on vacation for another few days, which should be awesome. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think you picked a fantastic choice. I'm really excited to talk about this, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of conception as well. But before we get there, a, a couple of news items, or a, a couple of new uh, albums and, and singles that, that came out this week that I think are worth mentioning. Um, your favorite um, prog power stalwart, Evergrey, came out with a new single called Save Us. It was released earlier today. Uh, it is, I guess, a prelude to their album coming out on May 20th called A Heartless Portrait. Uh, I'm sure long-term Evergrey fans will uh, really, really enjoy the single. I thought it was pretty good myself. And, um, you know, new fans of the band, uh, you know, you can pretty much start with anything they've done in the last five or seven years, and it's going to pretty much sound uh, the same as, as, as you know, the, the more recent stuff. I happen to be partial to some of the older stuff, but um, I definitely think that uh, even you should give this one a listen. I think I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> there you go. And uh, one other one other band who I've never really gotten into that much, and that's Hibria, uh, the Brazilian power metal band. But they released uh, a new album, I believe it comes out tomorrow, called Metamorphosis. And this one was actually pretty good. I enjoyed it. I thought the uh, production was fantastic, and uh, it sounded better than anything they've done to date. So uh, you may want to check that out as well. Cool. Yeah, so uh, we'll get right into it. We got uh, going back over 20 years to 2001, July 9th to be exact, uh, Camelot's fifth full-length album called Karma. Why Why this one as opposed to any of the others? I feel like you could have gone in a number of directions because the band has had like so many sounds over the years um, and, and so many different like lineup changes which kind of changed their sound. Why did you go with Karma? I think that this album kind of represents the the of the of this era of Camelot this um this you know Roy Kahn Thomas Youngblood songwriting you know force with you know Casey Grillo and Glenn Barry uh filling out the rest of the band with the drum the bass and drums um I love Fourth Legacy um it it was my first Camelot album and it it it's. I think it holds up really well, and and it's it just holds a special place for me because it was my first. Um, and I think that um, I think that the Black Halo is also um, one of the best Camelot albums of all time. And I never really, I never really got into Epica for whatever reason. It never really resonated with me. But I think that of those four albums, um, I think Karma is is their best. It's my favorite, um, and then because I, I think that before that, before Fourth Legacy, they released three albums that I think had a, kind of a different vibe to them. And after Black Halo, I felt like they kind of went into a kind of like a more darker, a more like darker and more orchestral kind of direction for the last two albums that they did with with uh, Roy Khan before he would leave the band and. Uh, 
Tommy Karavik would take over and then they would almost discover kind of like a new, a newer sound at that point. Um, but I just think that, that karma really just represents this peak, um, this peak era of this, this Camelot lineup. Um, and, and going back and listening to it again, I think I, I stand by that, um, by that opinion. Cause I, I just really, really enjoyed listening to this again. Yeah, it's funny. I first heard these guys when Fourth Legacy came out as well. I'm sure we probably got it together or darn near close, uh, you know, based on uh, it coming out in 1999. But my first exposure to Khan was obviously in conception, um, you know, years prior and, and obviously on the heels of Flow, which I just, uh, I don't think I ever appreciated as much when it came out, but now it happens to be my favorite conception album. Uh, they're, they're, they were really a groundbreaking band and it's kind of funny to me how this Norwegian band does, you know, so many great things. They, they kind of hit their peak in the nineties. They, they break up. Obviously they've, they've since gotten back together, but Roy Kahn then hooks up with Thomas Youngblood and they release a, just a series of, of great albums beginning with Siege Perilous and then the fourth legacy and obviously karma and they would go on from there, but it's just amazing how they hooked up and it was kind of magic when it, when it came to songwriting. And, and to be clear, it sounds nothing like conception. I mean, nothing like conception, but they, they really found their, their stride, if you will. I, I think with fourth legacy and they kind of continued it with karma. I will say that going into this week, I always kind of, if you would have asked me, what's your favorite Camelot album? I think I would have definitely said fourth legacy i i have just such a soft spot for that album uh and i went back and listened to that as well just to kind of compare it with karma you know listening to them straight through my opinion i think has changed fourth legacy has like a a a, a charm to it and almost a grittiness to it uh for for the time when it came out and it's got some fantastic songs some of which are my absolute favorites by the band but I think that this album, Karma, is actually a more complete album from A to Z, from beginning to end. And although I don't know that it has all the high spots that, that Fourth Legacy had, I don't think it has any of the down moments that Fourth Legacy has. And I actually think it's a better album and, quite frankly, their best album. Uh, I know a lot of people love Black Halo. I think it's kind of top-heavy, whereas this album, although it's certainly starts off with a bang and we'll, we'll get into it i feel like it never lets up and it's just one great song or at the very least a very good song after another whereas with the black halo i, I kind of thought it had some dead spots uh, you know towards the middle and the end of that album yeah i think those are, are fair assessments i agree for the most part um i think some of the best songs on black halo are some of the best um best camelot songs of all time but but maybe just because there's like some interludes and, and it's kind of telling a story. I, I never realized that Black Halo is actually thematically a sequel to um, Epica. Uh, so that I never really realized. I don't think I ever really um, like dug into the whole plot of, of either of those albums. So um, maybe that's why, I don't know, maybe that's why Epica never really, I, I don't know, something about that album just I would get lost after um center of the universe which i think is such a phenomenal song and it's such a great live track that i've heard um camelot play you know numerous times but um i just i just couldn't like grasp the rest of it i don't know why um 
maybe it was just the the poor the poor uh, timing of having to follow this. But um, yeah, th- this is just to me like this is just vintage vintage perfection um, from from Camelot, and uh, I just I. I I just absolutely love this album. I, I I knew that I loved it, and then I realized, like listening to it again, that I loved it more than I thought I did. Yeah, I, I want to. I'm gonna say something up front, and it's kind of weird. I was actually really depressed listening to this album this week. And you say, "Well, why?" This is a fantastic album, and, and I agree with you. This is peak Camelot. This is peak power metal for me. Like the late 90s and 2000, 2001, to me, that will always be the best era of power metal. It would, it basically took everything that Halloween had been doing and everything that Blind Guardian had been doing, but you're getting fantastic releases from Gamma Ray and you're getting fantastic releases from Camelot and Labyrinth and all these bands, Angra, uh, would, would, would really, you know, have some great albums in, in, in the mid to late 90s as well. To say nothing of, of, you know, bands like Rhapsody and kind of like the new wave of, of, of power metal bands. What depressed me though was I think that my love affair with the genre kind of started dying after this album. And I'm not suggesting that there's not some good power metal in the last 20 years. If you see my top 50 list, I think you can agree that I still enjoy the genre, but not as much stands out to me as it did kind of in this time period. And when I listen to this album, and I try to strip away the nostalgia factor. This album is just much better than anything I think I've heard in the last 20 years. I, you know, give or take an album here or an album there. But even the new Hibri album, which I mentioned earlier, and I, I enjoyed it for what it was. It doesn't hold a candle to, to, to this album or anything that was kind of coming out at this time. And so it was depressing to me to kind of go back and realize that the heyday for a particular genre may have kind of come and gone, at least for, for my ears. So it was, it was, that was depressing, but on the, by the, by the same token, um, I thoroughly enjoyed every time I got to listen to, to this album because it's, it's, you know, it, it's 50 something minutes in length, but it feels 55 minutes in length, but it feels like a half an hour because it just flies by when you're listening to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally, Totally agree with you. I mean, I think that there was just this glut of fantastic power metal albums coming out in, in the, like you said, like late mid to late nineties into two thousand, and that I mean that's kind of where I I kind of lost my interest in metal in general. I think w- was a little bit after the the time that this album came out because you know you had this and um in, within like the this this year and the year before it was like dawn of victory by rhapsody and dark ride by halloween the master plan so uh, debut album i think came out around this time um dragon forces debut these are all albums that we've we've talked about but i i remember like even um in 2000 when hammerfall's renegade album came out i was like it, it's just like oh man it it just doesn't hold up to to legacy of kings and it's just kind of like i think that bands are starting to I, I don't know there, there's just some 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 sort of magic about that late 90s and and into 2000 that that whole era uh, f- as far as power metal goes um it's different now um i i don't know if i could put it into words as well as you did but i i i'm with you like the, like as much as i enjoy camelot um i feel like they haven't come close to touching the, this the quality start to finish of this album in, in quite some time. 
Yeah, and it's funny because I do like the newer material um, for what it is, and especially when I don't compare it to Karma or Fourth Legacy. But it's 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 different, and I don't think it's quite as catchy or really I don't think it has the hooks and maybe that's what it is that that I think the new albums lack I think is a musical experience they're very good and obviously I, I happen to think the world of Tommy's vocals I almost think that Camelot holds him back a little bit I think he sounds better in Seventh Wonder like we had discussed um, when we talked about Mercy Falls in the archives but this uh this was really just uh you know Khan at his best and I think he sounds better in Camelot than he did in Conception at times. And I think that it was a magical combination. And uh, as much as I enjoy the new stuff, I don't think it quite grabs me the way that this stuff did because it was, you know, from the first listen, you could you were just hooked by some of these songs. And, and uh, you know, having not listened to it for a while, it hooked me again as if I was listening to it for the first time. The one thing I say before we'll talk about the album, and, and this is something I just do not understand – why they do not incorporate more songs from this era in their set list. You are lucky if you get one or two songs from this entire period, and usually you get one or two from the Black Halo. But, like, I mean, the, I, every one of these songs I would be thrilled to, to see live, and I just think that that day has, has come and gone, and I don't think they have any interest in going back there. To me, that's a shame because – I'll get to one or two in particular that, that I don't think they've even ever played live. Uh, but there's some just absolute gems on here which scream to be played live and I feel like would go over exceptionally well. Yeah, I mean, even years ago, I feel like they only really ever played Forever and Karma. Um, and then I think slowly, I think Karma kind of fell off and then Forever was like the last one. I think that their last full tour, like even that fell off. And I think that... At a certain point, they weren't playing anything from either this album or Fourth Legacy. And you could just tell, like, the more new material they would release, the more they would kind of focus on that, which is understandable. I mean, it's a new singer. You kind of want to focus on the stuff that he was there for. Um, you know, it's not like Halloween was going out with Andy Darris and redoing Keeper 2 every night. You know, they throw you a bone with Dr. Steen and and Eagle fly free. But I mean, they've tried to focus on the songs that were sung by Andy Darris, which, you know, it, it makes sense. Um, but I mean, as far as, you know, we're concerned, we'd rather just hear the band's best songs. And a lot of their best songs were on this album and, and on the fourth legacy. I, I, I would argue. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't disagree with you. And it just like, uh, you know, I was looking back just this week at some of those old Camelot set lists, uh, Never mind Prague Power, but you know they would come to New York City in 2005 and 2006 and 2008, and because of the material at that point, like I saw them on the Black Halo tour, and they played three songs off of Karma. Now they played Forever and Karma, as you had mentioned. They also played The Spell, which is a really, really good live track. I think it's better than than it is actually on CD. But like, I mean, at, at that show, I got to see songs like Knights of Arabia off the Fourth Legacy. I mean, it was just. Uh, you know, I, I long for that. Th th those were some of the best Camelot shows that I've ever seen, and, and I don't think they're ever going to get there again. And and when you look at the new set lists, um, they don't they don't go anywhere near this stuff. I mean, I, you you get Center of the Universe, you might get the Haunting, you get March of Mephisto, and that is it. You that that is that is it, and then it's all the new stuff. 
I'm not suggesting that they need to change set lists every light night like it's Dream Theater in 2002, but you know, throw in something, you know, cycle in three different songs throughout the course of a tour and give one to the fans at every, any given show, just because I feel like they kind of owe it to like the long-term fan, long-time fans that have been listening to this stuff for 25 years. Yeah. I mean, seeing Camelot live doesn't really excite me the way that it used to, just because I know they're not going to play so, like most of my favorite songs by them. And, you know, that's, I guess every band evolves differently, but uh, I mean, I feel the same way about a band like Symphony X as well. Like if you're going to play all your newer stuff, that's, you know, you you have every right to, but um, somebody like me who has a soft spot for a lot of the older material, I'm just not going to be as interested in, in, especially for someone like me who, whenever I want to see a concert, I have to travel, you know, a, a decent amount out of my way to go see it. Like you really have to, I guess, earn my my attendance at these shows. So like I'm not gonna go travel out of my way to see Camelot or Symphony X if they played in my town. Sure, I would go, but um, I'm not gonna take a seven hour, you know, or six hour car ride to New York City to see them play the same set list ever. You know, of a bunch of songs that I like but don't love. Um, I mean, that's just my personal feelings about it, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at with that. Let's uh, let, with with that said, let's get into it. Uh, the The album opens up with a, kind of a standard um, instrumental track called "Regalis Apertura," and it's actually written by uh, you know the the man, the myth, the keyboard player on this album, and obviously the producer and mixer and master extraordinaire Miro, former who, former TNT champion. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, different Miro, different Miro, but uh, a really cool opening track. And I think it kind of just sets the stage for what the album uh, is. This is not the only time they've kind of used one of these, you know, two minute, in, in, you know, intro tracks. I do think this is one of their best and it almost sounds like a precursor into going into battle type of thing. But it goes right into one of the uh, classic Camelot tracks and kind of one of those songs that I would play for someone if I said, oh, describe the band. Forever might be the track I play for them. Um, this is just classic, classic Camelot here. Uh, Casey Grillo really, really stands out. And he's been out of the band for quite some time. He's playing with Queens right now. But he is a very, very tight drummer. And I think that he just kind of holds this thing together and, and, and kind of makes it not go off the rails because there are parts of this that are really, really heavy and really, really fast. Uh, but the orchestration is is a really nice touch. It doesn't overwhelm the material, but it's it's there in spots. And then Khan, obviously, um, singing over the top of this thing, which is just fantastic. I'm sure you love this, uh, this track, but I, I want to hear your thoughts. Yes, I absolutely do. It's I mean, like you said, it's pretty much it hits all the notes of, of that era of Camelot with just the the sweeping vocals by Khan and, and just all the instrumentation is so crisp and, and sounds fantastic. It, it all blends together perfectly. The symphonic elements, um, the the it's 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 power metal, it's symphonic metal, it's um, it's catchy, it's fast, it's exciting, it, it's 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 just everything you could ask for in this style. And I think around this time, like you weren't, there wasn't really a lot of bands that were kind of doing 
like there were symphonic power metal bands, you know, Nightwish had definitely made a name for themselves at this point, but their vocal style was so operatic that like this kind of had more of a, of a classic, um, like a classic male vocalist style and, and Khan's voice is just so distinct and, and unique. And I think it was just such a fantastic, uh, marriage of his voice and and his songwriting ability to join with tom youngblood and and i just i think that this was really you know like i said before they were the the peak of their um the magic that they did together and uh you know this album and the album that preceded it and the album that followed it you know has that same kind of uh your, your classic power metal minute minute and a half inch you know kind of like classical classical musically styled intro um just and it just kind of gets you like amped up for the the big you know fast exciting first uh like full length track and forever yeah certainly um fills that uh that spot at track number two and and, you know like you said it was just a, a wonderful uh you know a wonderful song that you could look forward to when the band would play live up until just you know recently yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and what's interesting to me about Khan in general, unlike a lot of the power metal singers, uh, for, for a lot of the great bands that I mentioned earlier, your Halloween's, your Angras, Khan doesn't have that high-pitched wailing sound, you know, that, that an Andre Matos or a Michael Kiss kind of perfected and are known for. He almost reminds me, and, and maybe it's due to his like classical and opera training, but he almost reminds me of Matthias Blad from Falconer, who we discussed a couple of weeks ago, because he does sing in that lower register, uh, but with such power and such precision and with such grace that it's just like made, it, it, it's, it, it stands out because it's not that high pitched, you know, Timo Colti Belto vocals, which I love, but this was different and he's just so good. It, 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 I, the closest comparison I would make, although they don't sound the same, is is like that Falconer sound because he's in that lower register. Yeah, I never really thought about that, but I, now that you mention it, it does it, it? It's totally on point. Um, I, I just think at the time, like you just, it was like hearing. I mean, granted, we were we had heard him in, in Conception, but like you said, that was like a totally, definitely a more progressive style band. While this is more of a power metal style band, and and it's amazing how he he managed to fit both bands so well. Like he he's such a a great fit for both. Um, and I guess that just shows the kind of versatility that he had as a vocalist. Um, but uh, you know, I, I'm still so bummed that I never actually got to see him sing with Camelot. I came so close uh, to when they headlined Prague Power and he like he left the band weeks before that performance and they did end up doing a really memorable performance with um, Michael Erickson from Circus Maximus kind of cu- like standing in for him and I remember they played uh, Knights of Arabia and some and at least a, you know a couple of tracks from Fourth Legacy and Karma and that was incredible um probably will always go down as my favorite uh live camelot performance and i've seen them a number of times um but uh curious your your thoughts on track number three wings of despair you know it's funny this is one of my all-time favorite songs period like point blank 
I would put this song up against any power metal song kind of written in the last 20 years. I think it's Camelot's best song. I think it's it's simple, but it's just so, so catchy. And it, it it's everything from the, the riff during the choruses to even a you know the, the one and only time I'll probably talk about a bass line on this entire album and these keyboards that are just coming in at the right times and popping during the bridge. Uh, it has that instrumental section with that power metal gallop that we sometimes talk about. A solo on this album, which uh, is so simple but effective. It's just a brilliantly written song. And when you're not looking for, you know, as, as a prog guy, sometimes it's nice to just strip everything away and listen to a really good song. This is a fantastic song. Uh, I would have easily chosen it as my song of the week, but I purposely am not because it was almost too easy. I knew that I love this track going into it. I wanted to pick something else, uh, but I think this song is just perfect. I wonder if you hold it in as high esteem as I do, because like I said, I just think it's absolutely perfect. It's my song of the week. <laughs> nice. So I get to listen to it again. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, uh, I I think kind of dawned on me, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. Um, I don't know why. Um, it may have just come on randomly, and I was like, wow, I forgot how good this song is. And I just listened to it a million times since then, and I think that it it's just – it might be my favorite Camelot song ever. And yeah. I just think it's that good. Everything about it is just vintage you know, this era, Camelot, everything, like you just, you said it. Um, I I just love the song. I think it's wonderful. We are in absolute complete agreement and there's really nothing else that can be said other than I will post it this week and I encourage everyone to listen to it. I will be listening to it again. I love the, I just will say like throughout the album, you're going to hear these, um, these kind of like layered vocals and I, I just, it sounds so awesome when Camelot yeah. does it on this album and, and it's the song mixed, especially. And, and the mix holds up very well for an album from 20 plus years ago. It's sound, it still sounds excellent. And you put it up against all the mixes that you hear, you know, with the newer albums, this is every bit as good. It, it, it never lost any of its luster. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, just I, the, I feel like the, the drums, you mentioned Casey Grill before, like the drums are just mixed so well where they're, they're so effective, but at the same time, they're not like overbearing and drowning out everything else. Like just, uh, just really good stuff. And I guess you shouldn't be surprised because I mean, again, you like, you look at this lineup of people involved in like Miro and, and Sasha Paith with the, you know, the producing and stuff. And like he, this dude was just, uh, just like 
the the polisher of uh, <laughs> of all polishers. You know, like he just he, he was turning in. he was taking diamonds and turning them into flawless diamonds. I mean, yeah. that's really what it was. Yeah, um, and Miro's uh, a name that you always see kind of attached to Sasha um, a lot of times. Um, like especially around this time and now they're both involved with Avantasia um it, it's just no surprise to me that when you see those names attached to an album that you love so much you're like well of course it should come as no surprise i guess at this point um track 4 is called the spell this is this was like you said one of the last to to kind of get dropped from from the set list as far as this album goes this song, though, it is a perfect live song as far as I'm concerned. It's it's much slower than the prior two. Not a ballad by any means, but um, just like this keyboard-heavy, proggy song with just amazing, amazing verses. I think the chorus is, is pretty decent. And there's this slow build that kind of speeds up with every single verse, and it's just con on, on, on full display here. This was a song that I, I never... Um, I don't know if I ever really appreciate it, but it, this one has definitely grown on me over time. And I love, 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 love the guitar solo at the end that just kind of fades out as the song um, ends. I, I just, uh, another standout track that has really grown on me over time. Yeah, it, it just shows that, like, you know, after two kind of fast paced songs, um, you kind of kind of turn it back a little bit and with this more of a mid-tempo song and it still works so well um it, it there's just something about it that's just very uh just kind of pulls you in and it, it, i agree with you it, it really made for a, a great live song especially when you know you can't expect a band to play like these blistering songs one after another so to have something like this in their pocket where at the same time it's also not like super ballady like the next track or or the haunting um this is just kind of a just like a really standard mid-tempo camelot tune that um i think is really memorable for kind of a a slowdown kind of tune after those for those last two tracks yeah, and, and and it slows down even more with with "Don't You Cry," which is the first of the true ballads on on the album. This is, you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of a lot of ballads, but this one checks off all the boxes. Beautiful acoustic guitar, amazing orchestration, and and quite frankly, I just can't imagine anyone else singing this song. So I'm almost happy they don't play this one live, um, because this is this has Con written all over it. And what it really reminds me of, honestly, is like some of the ballads on Flow. I think of like um, Hold On. I, I think without knowing who had their, you know, kind of thumbprint all over this ballad. I, I think this is con through and through that kind of wrote this song. I, I if I had to guess, um, but this helps show the band's diversity because this is uh, one of my absolute favorite ballads of all time. And I, I'll say this, they do an awesome French version of this song. It's one of the bonus tracks for the album. Um, and, and it's the same exact song. It's just sung in French and that's beautiful as well, just because, you know, just the way that the, you know, being a romantic language that it is, it, it flows very well on this album. Yeah, that was the bonus track on the CD that I had um, years, years ago. I don't even, I honestly don't even remember where I got this album. Um, usually I remember these things. This one is, I know I had it. I just don't remember from where, and I remember it had that bonus track. But uh, yeah, this is also one of my favorite um you know, power metal ballads uh, 
during this time. I just think it's so emotional and the lyrics and, and just like you said, the orchestrations, everything about it. It's just a really, really beautiful song. Um, uh, I, I I will say though I would love to hear Tommy take a stab at this live because if anybody could handle like something like that, I think him just him and a microphone and and a, with an acoustic guitar playing. I don't know. I think I think he might be able to do this one some some justice. I would be. I want to hear it, but I'm hesitant. I'll, I just I have those reservations that I mentioned earlier. But now that you mention it. You know, having hear, heard him sing "Tears for a Father" live, right? I mean, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe you could twist my arm into it. I, th- I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna pull back from what I said earlier. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on "Karma," the title track, track number six? This is this is probably my second favorite uh, song on the album after "Wings of Despair." I love um, kind of the the Middle Eastern vibe that kind of I think they pulled over from. Uh, the Knights of Arabia track from the previous album, which is another one of my all-time favorite Camelot songs, arguably my favorite song from Fourth Legacy. Um, but uh, yeah, like you said, speaking of the gallop, the song starts out right away with that that awesome uh, drum kind of gallop, and then um, goes into this like really awesome um, kind of keyboard intro, and then you kind of hear like Khan like slowly fade into the song i don't know i i think this is such a cool song amazing live um it, it's if it would have been my song of the week if not for wings of despair but uh yeah this is is, is a, a close second just a, a just an all 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 around fantastic song you know it's funny i never really appreciated this song until about 10 years ago for some reason it was just another kind of good track on the album when i first heard it uh, but but going back to it about a decade ago, I think I realized the brilliance of this track, and now I, I absolutely adore it. And and the way I kind of look at the album, this was kind of the last of side one of the album. And then, in my opinion, like The Light I Shine On You, the next track, is kind of the start of the second half of the album. If Karma is closing the first half, like I kind of am alluding to, it is a perfect side a of the album it is just absolutely perfect and a fantastic fantastic song um they still occasionally play it live which is kind of awesome uh although i think it's been some you know probably since 2015 may have been the last time they did it but i think this track is like fantastic and, and honestly i'm not sure why i didn't appreciate it as much 20 years ago but i love it now and i agree with you it may be the best song on the album although it's not my personal favorite but i i, I think it's i think it's a gem and what i was really curious about was to see whether or not like the second half of the album was going to hold up the way that i remember the first half holding up and and that's kind of what we get into with the light i shine on you yeah those those first six tracks are Oof, i mean it could be. I, I mean, what, 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 what wouldn't you put that up against? I mean, yeah, I mean find something much better, and I, I don't. I'd be, I'd be shocked if you could find something that blows that out of the water. Yeah, it's, it'd be tough. Yeah, and and and, but you know, I think for an album to be truly great, the second half has to hold up as well as the first. I don't know if I ever even concentrated as much on the second half because the first half was so brilliant. But the light I shone on you is more of a mid-paced tune. Very, very nice chorus. I, I think that the verses are a little bit pedestrian. Not that they're bad. They're just a little bit kind of like a prelude to the chorus that's going to come. 
I think this is a good song. I do not think it holds up when you compare it to the stuff that came before it. And I'm just wondering if you think it starts taking a little bit of a step back at this point. Um, it's my least favorite song on the album. And I mean, that's hardly a, a, like a, a, a knock on it because it's just the album's that good. But, um, I, I just think it's, I just happen to think it's the weakest. As a matter of fact, I think this and the following song, Temples of Gold, are the two weakest songs on the album. But also they are kind of like, also kind of a, a tempo mood kind of change because then across the highlands is another uh you know up tempo song so i think that they kind of went I, I think if they they were going for that effect of like i mean it's kind of coming in waves you know forever and wings of despair are fast songs the spell is medium don't you cry is is kind of a slow ballad karma is um another mid-paced song but like really um has a lot of uh like the, it's like a real theatrical song, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of more of a, a more mid, like a kind of just like a middle of the road, mid tempo kind of tune. I, I like Temples of Gold a bit more. It, it's, I, I guess, I guess you could consider it another ballad. It's not as good as Don't You Cry, but it, it's, it's a nice kind of chill. It's like a very chill like song, I think. I actually would describe it almost as a power ballad. That's kind of the way I describe it. It's got a cool acoustic guitar intro, and I completely forgot about that, to be honest with you. And then eventually the other, the, the vocals kick in, and then the drums, and then the electric guitar join in. And, and at one point I thought I heard a sitar, but I could be yeah, wrong. The, the end of this, the, the kind of, there's a definite Middle Eastern yeah. flair at the end of the song that, that I think is really cool. It's definitely the highlight of the song. Uh, totally. And, yeah. and this, this is not my favorite track. It's probably my least favorite track on the album. Um, it has a bit of a whimsical or majestic feel to it as well. I don't know. I, I just think that, you know, this was my least favorite. The Light I Shine on You was a touch better. I think we have that in reverse, but I think we agree. This is a little bit of a dead spot on what's otherwise a really, really fantastic album. Um, not that they're bad songs. It's just that I think that when you have five A-plus songs in a row – even a B or a B plus track seems to pale in comparison to, 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 to perfection. Yeah. And I'll tell you another thing. I never really listened to the Japanese bonus track once in future King until now. And boy, they should have just crammed that in there somewhere because that song is a real banger for a bonus yeah. track. I liked it a lot. I, I think maybe if you, maybe if you cram that in between <laughs> the light I shine on you and temples of gold, just so that you have one more, yeah, um, like real upbeat song, and so you're not having two kind of uh, less, like less than great songs in a row. Um, just the thought. Um, I'm sure they had their reasons, but uh, or or another option, which would be, you know, you mentioned across the highlands. That is another track, which, quite frankly, if you put them in between the the two prior tracks, this is a banger, and this is honestly. I think it's the most underrated song on the entire album. The keyboards scream Stradivarius to me. It is just upbeat power metal at its finest and a song that they will never, ever, ever play live and something I would kill to see. I loved this track. I don't think I ever appreciated it as much as I did this week. This is my track of the week, believe it or not, Across the Highlands. It's a bit of a simple riff. 
Uh, but this is a real like hidden gem in the back catalog. And, and this song has a lot of what the, like the current power metal seems to lack for me. It's short, it's sweet, it's to the point, And it's just, you know, not the best song on the album, but it's, it was the one I think I enjoyed the most this week, kind of out of left field. Witnessed to so many wars that I'm blind to oppression. No ability left to remorse. It's my faith and conviction. This is a song that would have been my song of the week like 18 years ago, maybe. Really? Because I was obsessed with this song when this album came out. I did not know that. I played it on my radio show in college all the time. Um, I think I just played it so many times over the years that it's almost gotten to the point where I'd rather hear you know, Karma or Wings of Despair or The Spell or whatever, but I still... I mean, you're spot on with everything you said this is a beautiful power power metal song just a really great tune and i think it's one of the easily one of the best songs on the album i'm not terribly surprised you chose it yeah it's i i i don't know that i ever appreciated it as much as you did back then so you you were definitely ahead of the curve on this but 20 years later i i came around to it it's fantastic. i remember i remember nops really liking it too i i, I remember nops he he wasn't the biggest power metal fan back in in college but he definitely dug camelot i remember that and i I remember across the highlands being a song that he enjoyed knowing his taste not to go off tangent i think he'd probably be more of a conception guy like flow era conception i think he would just absolutely love uh but this is just so accessible i'm not surprised that he would like this um uh, you know, it's interesting. Like I said, maybe you flip those tracks, maybe you don't. But the album ends with a trifecta of songs uh, based on Elizabeth Bathory, the serial killer from Hungary in the uh, late sixth, or I should say, the late seventh, early seventeenth century. I guess uh, back in you know she she passed away in sixteen fourteen. I won't get into the whole story there, but there is a trifecta of songs that end this album: Mirror, Mirror. Requiem for the Innocent and Fall from Grace. And quite frankly, I, another kind of series of songs that I don't think I ever fully appreciated, but they are, it is a really good trilogy. Mirror Mirror is like a piano led ballad that kind of gives way to, um, an acoustic guitar, almost similar to Don't You Cry. Not quite as good in my opinion, but a, a very solid second ballad on, on this album. That's again, not a power ballad, but a true ballad. Uh, it's got a bit of a long outro, but it leads into Requiem for the Innocent, which is another uh, kind of a standard fair Camelot track from this era. Not extraordinary, but a, a solid song with a fantastic piano solo at the end, ultimately leading to one of the best ending tracks on a Camelot album, Fall from Grace. Um, this song is exceptionally heavy. 
uh, a real banger of a tune. I just love the mix where you can hear the vocals coming out of both speakers. I, I really thought that was a wild trip and something I never noticed um, to this point. Uh, this it may be, may have been fatigue when I was younger, but this trilogy to end the album is just a really awesome way to end a, a fantastic disc. I agree. I, I, it's funny that you kind of broke it down into the three parts because I always had the three tracks merged into one song because to me, I feel like it just was one song. I was like, I just consider it Elizabeth. Or Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> it, I, 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 I think I always like like this, but going back and listening to it again, like it's it is really good. It might have just been like a little bit too much after all of the great stuff yeah. that preceded it, and now you have like a twelve and a half minute, you know, three piece, uh, three you know, three part song. But um, now that like to it's going back and kind of digesting the the album on a whole. I think this was really a, a perfect choice to kind of finish things, finish things off. And um, I do love like the, the flavor of, of, of all three parts of it. I, I love the beginning, the first part, um, the, the kind of quiet um, keyboard intro to kind of get things rolling. And it, it, it just kind of like crescendos, I think from the beginning all the way to the end. And uh just a really good way to kind of finish things off. And, and like I said, I, I, I really dug that, that bonus track once in future King, which um, I don't think I got a hold of until I think Camelot released an album with all their like B sides and bonus tracks at some point, because I, like I said, I always had the version with the French uh, don't you cry on it. So yeah, uh, yeah. this it's, bonus it's... track was, was new for me. You know you're doing something right when the bonus tracks are fantastic and the rest of the album is good as well. It means the material is is, is certainly flowing and uh, great stuff, great stuff. Uh, I, I think that we would really need to do a deep dive into one of the Tommy Karavik albums, to be honest with you, because as much as I like them, I just never listened to those albums and I, I kind of want to go back to them. So something to consider uh, in the in the not-so-distant future, maybe doing uh, Silverthorn or something like that. I, 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 I loved... I thought Haven was excellent. Um, the other two just didn't grab me quite as much. I thought Silverthorn had its moments. Shadow Theory did as well, but I, uh, Haven start to finish, for whatever reason, I really... I enjoyed the whole thing start to finish, so I don't know. Um, I don't know that it kind of compares to, to karma but it's definitely my favorite album they've done since um Khan left the band yeah i i agree silverthorn was was the best of the three for sure i'm i'm kind of well, i'm saying haven is the best of the oh i'm sorry i apologize yeah no yeah uh haven yes i'm sorry i misspoke haven i think is the best of the three and i think what's interesting is that like it was kind of sandwiched in the middle of of, of the the trilogy, if you will. Um, I, I look forward to hearing the next one. It's been a while since we've heard some new Camelot. So, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's hope that that's what 2022 or 2023 has in store. Uh, best, uh, best Camelot album, I think. Yeah, I, I'm going to come around and say it. I think that this is actually their best album. And I've kind of surplanting um, Fourth Legacy for me, just going back and revisiting it. And then obviously hearing Fourth Legacy as well. I actually enjoy this better. Scale of one to ten, I don't know that it's perfect, but it's darn near close for me. I'm giving it a nine. I, I, I just think that despite the you know the little bit of dead spot in the middle, uh, this is this is close to close to perfection here and in, in, in rarefied air. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I'm I'm gonna give it a, a nine point two five. Um, it's yeah, it's it's probably my favorite Camelot album of all time. I, I think that um, I think that the, those two tracks that just aren't on the same level as everything else break down a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I almost I almost gave it like a nine point three seven five because I feel like it's <laughs> not quite a nine point five, but a nine point two five almost feels too low. So maybe I will. Maybe I'll say it's a nine point three seven five. That makes well, me. That makes me feel more comfortable. I, I can assure you that is definitely a first on the Metal Exchange. A 9.375 given out by Mr. Nietzsche. But, I'm uh, a mortgage underwriter. These are just uh, different types of uh, just, uh, interest rates as far as I'm concerned. Maybe they can buy a point and bring it up to the 9.5. But uh, <laughs> maybe the bonus track. I, I think the bonus track buys at another point. But that's a discussion for another day. Uh, before we get to next week's album, which is the first Monday of March, so it's going to be a request album. A couple of uh, a couple of brief news items. Uh, the first, I feel like we're doing this far too often, but another another passing. Um, Procol Harum, a prog rock band from um, from England. Gary Brooker has passed away, the singer. And and what's disappointing, I, I I will not claim to be the biggest fan of this band. I I don't know a ton of their material, but I happen to really 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 enjoy one of their albums um they came out with an album in 1968 called shine on brightly and it's one of the first prog rock discs that i was aware of and they do their last song was a 17 and a half minute epic called in uh in hell was in i and this was something that um transatlantic would later cover so i had heard the transatlantic version i found out it was a cover then i went back and heard this song on on this pro call harem album and uh it is just um so far ahead of its time and i it's one of my favorite tunes so when i when i got the news uh that gary brooker had passed i was very, very sad to hear that uh, it would actually be a fun album to cover at some point in the future just because I think that the music is so interesting. But uh, some sad news there. Uh, but on a little bit of a lighter note, uh, the, the longtime drummer uh, for Ney Abuskaris, Dan Presland, has decided to leave the band after 16 years. They are a very, very um, kind of under-the-radar prog band, I think, from Australia, if memory serves. But these guys are fantastic, and they've been gaining a lot of traction, I guess, with their last couple of releases. So hopefully they're able to replace him in the in the not-so-distant future and, and release some new stuff. Uh, really, really interesting band. And uh, staying in the prog realm, uh, one of my low-key favorite prog bands from uh, France Spheric Universe Experience has announced that they will be releasing a new album called Back Home. It is due out on May 20th of this year on Uprising Records. Uh, under the radar band, very, very uh, underappreciated. And, and they just have a really cool sound with these lush keyboards that I love. Definitely looking forward to this release. So uh, May, May 20th will not be here Um it can't come soon enough. I, I really want to hear this album, and it's been quite a while since they la released something new. So, uh, looking forward to that. Very nice. I hopefully the uh, hopefully you'll remind me of that one <laughs> when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will not forget. I have it on my radar. But um, a, a request for next week, which I found to be very very interesting, because the band. And the album that we are going to discuss is a band that I had only heard one prior album from, 
and would never profess to be the biggest fan of this band, but it's something I think I would like if I ever gave it the time. The album is called Crack the Sky. It came out in 2009. The band is Mastodon, the American prog metal band that has been releasing album after album for over 20 years at, at this point. Um, and a, a, a band that's actually going on tour with Opeth in the very, very uh, not-so-distant future. Uh, a band that I don't know if you've ever heard, but uh, we want to fulfill the request because I do think that this is going to be a very interesting discussion going back to, to an, uh, an album, like I said, that I've never heard from a band that I am woefully negligent uh, in, in my you know, appreciation and understanding of. I'm right there with you. Um, <laughs> what, yeah. what I what I have heard has been um, very few and far between. So I too am uh, looking forward to listening something a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. And track four is called "The Czar Usurper." I won't get into it now, but very very dark considering where we are in the world, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, Mastodon coming the first week in March. And then I have a little surprise for, for the second week of March, which I think um, should make for a very interesting episode that second week of March, but we'll, we'll get there next week. Uh, thanks for joining us on your trip. I hope uh, this was as fun for you as it was for me. I definitely enjoy talking about some Camelot and I look forward to cracking the sky with you next week when you're uh, back in cold, chilly Rochester. We will catch you next week. Thanks again for joining us. And I hope you have uh, enjoy the rest of the vacation. And I will catch up with you soon. But talk to you later. Thanks, pal. Take care.